before I decided to go full in as a residential sale realtor, I went into wholesaling. I, I tried to understand. I did my whole yellow mail cards. I thought of being like a fix and flipper, which I didn't have the cash for the renovation. And I tried it and, you know, I put like the business cards and, you know, these in the cars windows. And of course they all got trashed and um, it didn't work out. I wasn't as patient as I would have. It was a huge contact sport, lots of mailing for cold leads. And it didn't suit me because I'm very friendly. I, I didn't like being yelled at by saying, Hey, why are you leaving these cards? And it wasn't for me. Um, I wanted to be, you know, having a personal touch with people. Welcome to the Investing RN Podcast, your number one resource for nurses and healthcare professionals who want to take control of their financial well-being and build a life of abundance and freedom. Hosted by Josh Condado and Colin Davis. Each week, we bring you insightful interviews with successful nurses, entrepreneurs, and experts in the field. Together, we'll explore the world of investing, uncover strategies to overcome challenges, and inspire you to create a thriving portfolio. Whether you're a new nurse, just starting out, or a seasoned veteran, Investing RN is here to equip you with the knowledge, tools, and inspiration you need to invest your time, money, and relationships wisely. Hello, and welcome to the Investing RN podcast. Today, we are joined by Christine Nieva, based on the East Coast, a real estate agent, former nurse. Um, we're going to talk about all of that and how she went from one to the other and and why and and what, what all is going on out there. A bunch of uh, accolades. Looks like you've appeared in many magazines recently, so it looks like it's all going well for you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate you both having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, uh, can you kind of tell us about your background in nursing? Uh, this being geared more towards, well, not just nurses, but uh, healthcare professionals. Um, can you tell us about your journey into nursing and you know how that came up and, and what what that was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually always have known since I was five years old to be a nurse. It's part of my upbringing with my from my parents' influence. And right from high school, I already knew I needed to be in a prerequisite program to get myself into nursing school. So I immediately knew right away once I was 23 to practice in as a nurse. And uh, one of the opportunities I started out with was to be in the OR. So I had four years of my bachelor's and then four years in the operating room, all kinds of surgeries um, from general to ENT to ortho, you name it, I was trained, including trauma as well. And from those four years of a practicing OR nurse, I've learned a lot. I mean, there's just so many valuable lessons that you learn from working with your colleagues to be very team-based oriented, working with anesthesiologists as yourself, Josh, and just the amount of skill sets that I've been able to carry on from there translated so well into when I decided to transition full-time into real estate, which is specifically residential services. I do commercial now. And since then, that's been a huge part of my foundation of who I am, how I stay compassionate, how I'm empathetic to clients. And it's really built who I am as a nurse previously. And now what I do with my real estate career. Nice. So you were in OR the whole time as a nurse? The whole time. Yeah. yeah, I know. So, I mean, we nursing is like a huge spectrum of things. And every every OR nurse that I've ever worked with has usually come from somewhere else first. And they always talk about how like it's a completely different animal. Has It's like you can be really good in the ICU, really good in med surge. And then you go to OR and you have to relearn everything. Um, so I, and I think it kind of is because you have to you have to tailor to so many different ortho, like all of the different um, spectrums of surgeries as well. And it sounds like you were able to do that pretty well for four years. I feel like there's a there's a kind of a huge like burnout where people like 
they want to do something else. They're not sure if they're ready. They are ready to leave their career or if they just want to build some sort of financial piece outside of healthcare also. Um, so at what point did you realize that was something you wanted to look into? Yeah, it's a great question because burnout is huge. And that's what creates so much of the exploration phase that nurses have to go through and seeing what else is out there. It was a year and a half into my practice in, in the OR. And I realized then that there has to be something that allows me to still serve people in a, in a way that I'm able to with patients and still have that cohesive work you know, teamwork that I do in the OR. And during my commute, I was commuting about an hour every morning, an hour back. So you can imagine two hours every day from Monday through Friday, at least for the last hospital that I was at. And I dedicated those two hours that became a compounding effect of just listening to podcasts like this. And it was so focused on figuring out what are, what else is out there? And time and time again, I kept finding a pattern that people were exploring real estate. And initially I was just like myself, like the audience. I was a full-time nurse. I wanted to just delve into something that can add financial freedom or just an extra sort of source of money to finance certain things in lifestyle that I wanted when I was a much younger nurse. And I decided to get my license. I thought, you know what? I think real estate such has a, a pretty low entry barrier to, to get in, you know, put in 60 hours of classes and then just start from there. And from then I realized... The first thing I did was study a lot of investors. I wanted to get my license to actually be an investor myself first, to remain as a nurse and start developing a portfolio of flipping houses, making money that way, or being a long-term hold landlord and developing my you know wealth through real estate acquisition that way. And then the first deal that I ever did was buying my house and selling my mom my, her house. So just seeing that process transition into, you know what, this is pretty cool. I like this. It felt more time, set, uh, more time productive for no money that I had to put in. I just had to give the services of helping transact from beginning to the end. And of course, I had no idea. I had my broker assist me throughout that process. And in that first year of 2016, when I was licensed, I sold three homes, which is myself, my mother, and someone in the fitness industry that was a friend of mine who trusted me, of course, didn't, make, didn't really know how, how, how much valuable information I had until I was going into that amount of investing related information that I've collected over, I believe, two years at this point. So two hours of commute times four or five times a week, and then multiply that over you know, two years worth of commuting as a nurse, that was, that amounted to like 250 something hours. And that was highlighted when I was in the 30 under 30 with NAR. And that was something that I was so proud of because when we started out, when I, when any person in real estate starts out, what do you bring to the table? And for me, leveraging platforms like this that educate how to start, that's where I began. So you were working full time while you were, I mean, I guess real, being a realtor, I'm sure you're putting in way more than full-time hours, but you were working essentially two full-time jobs for how for how long before you decided to go ahead and take the step away? Yeah, absolutely. It was hard. It was very time, very time intensive, energy intensive, but I was dedicated. I knew that I wanted to transition into something that lit a fire in me. And those first few deals, I knew that if I can, you know, just squeeze in maybe a couple more uh, transactions and closings, I could really start to see, is this something worthwhile for me to consider and leaving, you know, how many years behind from schooling to the few years that I had in the OR? I think that's like a good uh, 
kind of point to touch on because it's like you you spend all this time and you invest all this money in your education and you're only a year and a half in when you started looking at real estate. So how did you kind of justify taking this leap to something else after having invested so much in that career path? There's two parts to that. Number one was to first systematize a financial expectation that I've been used to as a W2 employee as a nurse, because I knew that going into something 100% commission was all going to be driven by myself. And there were going to be ebbs and flows just based on the amount of podcasts and experienced agents that have spoken about the business for those that are new. Actually, the number one reason why I decided to pull the trigger and say goodbye to, to nursing full time was because of a car accident. I was, I remember having a few closings part time, six months into having my license. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to go part time. In retrospect, I probably, probably should have recommended myself to extend that because I remember part time nursing, which was only like, I don't know, 20 hours a month was not even covering my bills, but I had so much faith in myself and so much of this fire that I wanted to make it work. And into my second year of 2017, I remember being part-time. I had a closing and we had to go to the office meeting. My lender was with me and we had to go pick up a buyer for, for a closing. And on the way to the Metro, I got in a motor vehicle accident and I still have two plates, 12 screws in my arm. It was a horrible accident. The vehicle was completely totaled. My lender made it just fine, but that was a silver lining for, for some folks. They might say, I'm not very going to get in the wheel again. And, you know, this, this job being a realtor or a real estate agent is so dependent on being behind the wheel. But instead, I used that opportunity at post-op to really assess, like, look, I'm 27 at the time. I don't have kids yet. And this is this, I could see this as a curse, or I could see this as a pathway for me to start reassessing what makes me happy. And that was actually not being in the career of nursing anymore. And it's not because of, of the career itself, but it's because I wanted the freedom, financial freedom, the time freedom. And I used that time off to really reassess and build a, a business plan to make myself self-sufficient financially and catapult myself leaving into now what I have with real estate. So those are the two biggest things that really drove me to go full time. I think I think it's uh, interesting too, because there's like a variety of people within nursing and, and like within our team, it's Jen, my wife, Josh and I, and we're each kind of like a different person within that field. Like my wife, not a big fan of nursing. She was a nurse. Um, she's just not a fan of it. Josh is still happily doing it. I'm out, but like, I never, I never fully dis, I, I always loved the nursing part of it, but it was like that. It was like the time freedom and like being on a schedule. And then we did travel nursing where you essentially had no say over your schedule for some period of time, at least. And really what it was for me was management. But, um, but it's just like, you know, there, there's like a variety of people. And in your case, it's like, you, you probably could have done both for a long time, but you found a path into doing just the real estate. And I think that's great. And looking at like having an event like that, um, yeah, I guess can kind of change your mindset on things. So when, when was that kind of in the, uh, that car crash, where was that in the, cause you were in nursing for four years. Is that correct? Yeah. And that was that fourth year, 2017. It was the car crash. Wow. 
So, so I, I spoke with this guy out of, out of North Carolina that owns our real estate brokerage. And he said the majority of realtors that he works with were at some point nurses. So what is it about nursing that, that allows, or I guess prepares you to become uh, a great realtor, I guess. You know, when I get interviewed by new prospective families, individuals that want to hire me, they always want speed, they want communication, and they want around the clock availability. And I always tell them, I've got you covered. I used to do call. I was in trauma. I'm always available. My phone's on me. And just those skill sets I got from the OR of being in trauma call is what allowed me to be more available. And this, the speed but also the stress threshold. I think when, when, I, when I look at how stressful the job of being in the real estate industry is, it really is. There's just so much you have to manage from setting expectations, there's finances, there's understanding the market, knowing your local market, there's all these things and how can you piece that and package it so nicely for someone who's looking to receive help when they're when they need real estate services. And that's one of the things that I've gotten from nursing is being so empathetic. You have to be an advocate for your patient. You have to be an advocate for, at least in when I was in the OR, it wasn't that they were awake. You're being an advocate for while they're asleep. You're there advocating to make sure that, you know, you communicate correctly what the anesthesia team is saying and how do you relate that with, you know, the, the, from the resident to the actual surgeon to the supporting technician, the surgical tech, I mean, and just being all of those components are what drive for you to be a patient advocate and transition into that, I believe, is what really helps why I think why that individual you spoke with, Josh, how they typically become far more successful in real estate when they were nurses. I think, I think the idea of like, having been through like these things where it's like literally life and death too. It's like, yeah, I mean like sure real estate transactions can go bad and like, you know, you can be negatively affected, but yeah, your threshold for stress and everything is so much higher. So I could totally see that, that lending itself well to real estate. Being on call all the time, I guess as a nurse, not, not every nursing position requires this, this amount of call that you, it sounds like you were required to take. I do know that as a realtor, so my mom's a realtor also, I'll just preface it with that. And, and you're like almost always on call as, as you said. Um, so do you find yourself, you, you transition more for the, for the time freedom and financial freedom, but do you find yourself working a lot more now? Cause I know you, you probably took the step away from nursing to, to hopefully work a little bit less, but do you find yourself like kind of getting to still falling into the trap of just working all the time? Or how do you find a little bit of a balance there? Absolutely. Yeah. I do find myself working a lot. There is, of course, within the last year, there's been a shift in the market where a lot of folks have decided to take a back seat, wait until the rates have come down. But certainly from the years of 2018 to let's just say to 2022, I was working and hustling and trying to find as much time, not only for the business to make it work and let it keep growing, but also finding time for myself, which is the freedom that I wanted in the first place. So that's when you start to create systems and an organization, which is staff. That's what real estate allows you to do. And one of the things that's important is to, it's kind of like in the medical field, you have your specialties, you have a team of people that are better than what you're doing. And for myself, I was better with 
being one-on-one with the customer and being able to make the assessments, make the recommendations. And then the backside of things, which is charting. For me, I was great at that, but I always had help. I had admin help to make sure I leveraged on something that may not be as, let's say, higher in dollar per hour. So utilizing that and understanding that you can't do it all is really important in order to you know, still achieve the lifestyle that you sought out to do in the very beginning, which is that freedom, that flexibility of time, being able to spend it for yourself and however you see fit in your personal life. So there's, there's definitely been a slowdown in, in residential, maybe in everywhere, I guess. Um, but if you, if, if I was a nurse right now looking to get out of nursing and I was looking as looking at being a realtor as my escape plan, what would you tell them right now? Because now I would imagine would be a very difficult time to get into the uh, real estate game as a realtor. It is. In fact, an article from Inman News came out last week saying that the majority of agents, the majority are all part-time agents. In fact, 49% of realtors that are registered under the National Association of Realtors, 49%, which is half of, let's say, 1.6 million realtors right now, are have only sold one home last year for 2023. And so when you go into it now, it can be a challenge because if business isn't coming as fluid and it tends to stay more for those that are actively producing because they have models in place, they have a a source of past clients and a referral network and just a track record. So I'd say for someone coming in, you have to really dial down on your plan. You have to first figure out what, why are you getting into it? When I began, I, I still came in that mindset that I'm not going to get business. You have to accept that first. So one of the best ways to do it is leverage someone who's come before you. Find a mentor. For me, it wasn't being able to have time to sit down with a mentor. I used podcasts like these. I also made sure I invested a lot of time in books. One of the best books that I read through seven times through like a Bible was The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And although that book is a lot older now, it still speaks about the basic principles say in sales specific to real estate services. I would say invest in that time and finding the pattern of how to organize yourself. Realize that we are in actual sales. You have to fill the funnel. You cannot be shy being in this industry. You have to market yourself and say, I'm a nurse. And at the same time, I actually have a lot of value to give in real estate. So you have to create this constant awareness and change your your perception of how people see you. One of the best ways and most powerful things about social media is that you can create a perception of who you are. And so for years, I was this nurse Christine. So when I started out, I used social media as a microphone, a platform to speak that I'm actually doing real estate. And you have to constantly be in front of the camera or any in any way of shape or form that you're comfortable with, whether it's social media or grabbing a cup of coffee with someone that has been looking into real estate. At the end of the day, it's creating awareness. You have to create yourself a business plan where you're making contacts. You have to think of it as a contact sport. When you think of big companies like a Coke drink. Do you think of giant Coke or do you think of Coca-Cola or Pepsi? You think of those big companies because they're constantly in front of you. So it's truly an awareness game. It's a contact sport because once they, someone inquires for your help and actually is looking to make 
some sort of connection with you through real estate, it's not about them. It's about who they know. So coming in this mindset that when you speak with someone, you're not looking for their business, but you're looking at them and their network of, let's say, 5,000 Facebook friends. Seeing it in that perspective is what helps any anyone new, especially my nurses that have, you know, still reached out to me asking how they made that transition. It's truly about being very organized and how can you also create a financial plan that will syndicate or mirror the same income that you're producing as a nurse because you we we need that it's it's not something that we should just uh, jump in full time if you are deciding to transition without having a consistent amount of closings in place first what did you uh have you kept your license current throughout these years or did you let it lapse I let it lapse. One of the things that I wanted, I wanted to share is, I mean, as we all know, it's all mindset. If you're going to put in part-time work, expect part-time results. If you're going to put in full-time work, you're going to get full-time results. And I was part-time, but I was in this mindset. It's in my DNA. I'm going to go all in and I'm going to put in the 80, the 20% of the important work that I need to do with real estate to get in that 80% result. And absorbing that and internalizing it was what really set myself up for success for the actions I needed to take every day. So I look at it now and I realize that mindset investment was so imperative because my mom now tells me who's I love her so much. She's been practicing for almost 30 years as a packing nurse. She always says, Colin, do you. Oh, don't worry about the market coming down or whatever for 2023. You're still a nurse. You just have to, you know, refresh it and you can always come back. And I said, mom, no plan. A was always real estate. I told you after the accident, I was never going to have plan B for nursing. I was going to go all in. This is going to be my career. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're definitely the first nurse we've had on here. That's let it lapse. Everybody always keeps it as a backup plan. we, We usually tell everybody, I guess, yeah, we usually tell everybody like keep it just in case. But I mean, to your point though, like part-time results get part-time part-time work gets part-time results. That's that's a great quote. We'll definitely make we'll make that a quote that we put <laughs> we'll everywhere. Take, we'll take we'll take it and put it out. We're gonna there. steal it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it is true. Like I think it's like you said, the mindset piece. It's like it's like I mean, it's it's a backup plan, but like I guess in the idea of like burning all your ships and stuff like that, it's like the only way is forward and you have to succeed when you do that. And and like for me, like I've kept, I've been out of nursing for a couple of years, but I've kept my license current. And it's like, I'm constantly like looking on travel nurse sites. Like if I'm ever like, oh, I could use a little extra money. I'm just like, maybe I could hop in here. But it's like, yeah, maybe I need it. Maybe I need to just let it lapse. And then it's just like, there's no other way now. It's like the only way is like forward through real estate. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you were extremely intentional about your real estate journey. Can you tell us a little bit about like what your business plan looked like when you were, while you were still nursing, how you transitioned it? And then also a little bit like how that changed once you let your license lapse? Yeah. I actually didn't even pay attention when it, when it lapsed. I just knew like, I'm not going to renew it and I'm not going to look. Okay. <laughs> and the, the plan at the time when I was part-time was I just needed to the, the number one financial factor for me was having one closing per month for six months. Because on average, in our market back in 2017, the average 
price point was about 400,000. Of course, it's absolutely changed now. It's in the 500 to 600 price point now, but that's speaking in general for the DC metro market. And I knew I was going to come in helping first time buyers because they're going to be people that were needing of my services and they're a little bit more lenient if I didn't know certain things. And that was being, it was important for me to find what is that average price point based on who I think I'm going to be serving. And that was 400,000. And the average commission in this area would yield a certain amount of, you know, thousands X per, uh, per closing. So based on that, I matched it with my full-time job as a nurse. What was my pay home, pay take home check with as a nurse. And that was an X certain amount of dollars. So I said to myself, if I can match that at least better, if it was more, and I can continue that for six months straight, I don't know where I got six months straight. I just decided it six months was sufficient. Then I'm going to pull the trigger. Although I will say, I think I've read several books that over time have said, make sure that when you're transitioning or going to something where you're no longer going to be having your main source of income, always ensure you've got six months of savings ready to go in case something happens for emergencies. And that may not be a business factor for, for most people, but that's something I've just heard over time is just such a great way to allow yourself the planning that you need specifically here for going into real estate. Is there, now that you're out of nursing, is there any aspect of it that you kind of miss? Like in terms of like just having those set hours where you work and then you can just shut off afterwards or like, I mean, I'm sure you're meeting a lot of people, you're around a lot of people, but you know, I, I, I was in the ER. So it was like huge group of people. OR, same thing. You got a lot of people you're working with. Do, do you miss any of that? Yeah, I mean, certainly you definitely develop amazing relationships from friendships to really close colleagues that you you just turn to for advice. I've also had, you know, older folks that I've learned, especially with the last place I was in, I was the youngest nurse. I do feel like part of that, that just the, the folks that I got to work with is really the number one thing what I miss the most. But I didn't let that, of course, prevent me from, you know, wanting to go back for the socialization aspect. I, I use that moment to say to myself, all right, perspective moment. How can I make sure I'm still happy being where I am, even though I miss this part of nursing? I still stay in touch with them. In fact, with my wedding a year and a half ago, a few of the I had a table just for, you know, my my nurses, CRNAs and physicians that were a big part of my growth and they were so supportive. So for sure. That's really about it. The people and the patients, of so course. Nothing about the schedule. You're just like, whatever. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the commute, everything. <laughs> I, I hated it. it. <laughs> yeah. That was, the, the fluorescent oh, lights, yeah. the, you know, when it was a beautiful summer, spring day, the fact that you're still in, you know, in the, in the hospital, I didn't yeah. miss that. Yeah. Um, so do you, so interest rates are up, maybe coming down. How do you see that affecting the real estate market right now? And you said that you're you're more in commercial now. Is that did I catch that earlier? Or are you still doing residential? Yeah, it's still residential, ten percent okay. commercial. I've only began to offer uh, commercial services. Okay, so yeah, where do you see the market heading? And and you saw a huge slowdown last year. Where do you see it heading in the next year or two? Yeah, so it's predicted that by the end of this year, 2024, rates will begin to come down below 6%. And there's such a huge inventory. Uh, there's a huge 
inventory of buyers, actually, but not enough homes to supply that demand. So what we're seeing is for those that bought in the years of the pandemic from 2020 until 2022, those owners that want to upgrade or downgrade, they're holding on to their property. I mean, why would they want to let go for a rate of a home at 4% or less between two and a half to 4%. So a huge part of that inventory are being held by the people that either want to move up or move down themselves. And so as the rates begin to come down, we'll find a huge influx of buyers. We're going to go back into that multiple offer situation from waiving appraisals, from buyers escalating really high. And it'll be another another time for who, those that don't sell will build a lot of equity. And we're going to start seeing again, perhaps, and it's already happened where the county loan limits have already increased to increase affordability. And I think it's also going to start pushing certain buyers that may not be able to afford the average price point in the area. So I do foresee people also leaving or whether they're leaving the area that they're living in in order to afford another um, a, a home that fits their needs. They might be pushing to commit further or completely transition out into other states that are far more more affordable. Yeah, that I mean, that kind of that's right along the lines of what we've been trying to, to tell everybody, like the if you wait to buy real estate, it's it's never going to be better to buy later. And I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people that remember back in 2008 and whatever. They're like, well, yeah, but but I remember this. Um, but to your point, the, it's the like supply and demand. It's not that hard of a concept to understand. And right now it's it's not getting better anytime soon. So your your average average purchase price in in the D.C. area, half a million to six hundred thousand. I'm out here in Green Bay where I think it's like three hundred or three fifty or something like that. So it's quite a bit different. Um, do you see a lot of buyers moving out of the big cities to go find somewhere like Green Bay that's a lot more affordable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I service even folks in the military. So that's also one factor that plays into you know how they choose their location. I find that that's a big component for sure because you know living in the dc metro area is a is a blessing and also a curse a blessing in the way that there's so many amenities that are available from monument monumental marks to just the lifestyle here being such a hub for catering to all types of personalities. Uh, but at the same time, but for those that can work virtually, for sure, they're either working or relocating in areas that are a little bit more, whether it's rural or on the border of suburban, suburban and rural, to com- being completely out of state. In fact, I'm even helping a buyer right now that lives in Southern Virginia, where, father, uh, where their price points for a single family home are way more affordable for more land, but they're commuting to to DC for three hours every day. And that's, that's something that is just, yeah, you, it's, it's surprising. That's too much. <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing a uh, car crash, car accident, and then, then, then they're going to change their minds. Yeah. Hopefully before them. <laughs> One of the things I also wanted to add what you said, Josh was about the rates. There's a saying where you, where you're saying it's, it's never, it's never better to wait. You're absolutely right. And I always tell everybody first, figure out your personal situation, the finances to see if you can make the move sooner than later. And one thing that I got for one of my direct lenders that I trust is date the rate, but marry the house. So find the house if you can afford that, but just know that you can refinance. So you're just dating the rate at this moment. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that, I've heard that before. That's it's genius. It's genius. I wish I came up with it. No, I'm just kidding. So 
in light of all these huge, like, um, not huge, but, um, interest rate hikes and all this stuff, we've been hearing uh, the sub two strategy is like very popular in, in some of the circles that we're in. I hear a lot of people talking about how, Oh no, you can't do that. It's illegal. You're going to get the, the due on sale clause or whatever. But are you seeing that as a potential strategy to get into uh, a house that's a little bit higher price point or do you see it more as the too risky? I don't want to, I don't want to steer any of my real or any of my buyers in that direction. I'd say that's more for the off market buyers for investors subject to, we don't see that really from the retail side, which is with realtors and lenders and sellers. And a lot of the times when a seller puts their property in the market, it gives them the most exposure. And one of the things that they expect are going to be your traditional ways of financing, conventional VA, FHA, and cash. And for those reasons, at least in my market and the circle that I, I service, which is pretty wide, it's a 60 mile radius for between 30 to 50 families a year. I'd say it's really not common from what I'm seeing it, but I am seeing it as a constant conversation with wholesalers, with fix and flippers, and for those that are forced to do creative financing with sellers, but they're not being, they're not speaking to the retail side of being on the market, but rather just investors. Do you think that's more just they aren't exposed to it, don't understand it, or just it's just a clean bill of sale? Just give me my new mortgage. I don't, I don't really want to deal with anything. Yeah, I think those that are going into the subject twos are those that they they may not know as well that they are they have far more exposure going in the retail side or going on the MLS. I think those that are being exposed to the subject two are only being spoken by an investor. And of course, an investor is going to be one-sided type of conversation. And they're doing it because, of course, they don't. the investor doesn't want the seller to go on the market. There's a different uh, value add there. Um, and they, the investors themselves, whom are the buyers, or even if it's a wholesaler that's helping transact as a middle person for the investor and for the seller, they have to bring up the subject too. It has, it's only being brought up for creative financing because the rates for investors, if they are going to use a hard money lender for that type of financing, it's way too expensive right now. So they're looking usually at like a 10% interest rate if they want to go in with a, a loan that's not your typical investor, you know, 20% down or like a primary home loan. Speaking of investing, earlier you mentioned as you were kind of transitioning from nursing that you looked at being an agent and also investing in real estate. So did you do any investing in real estate? Have you bought any properties yourself or is it all just sales? Yeah, absolutely. Before I decided to go full in as a residential sale realtor, I went into wholesaling. I, I tried to understand. I did my whole yellow mail cards. I thought of being like a fix and flipper, which I didn't have the cash for the renovation. And I tried it and, you know, I put like the business cards and, you know, these in the cars windows. And of course they all got trashed and um, it didn't work out. I wasn't as patient as I would have. It was a huge contact sport, lots of mailing for cold leads. And it didn't suit me because I'm very friendly. I, I didn't like being yelled at by saying, Hey, why are you leaving these cards? And it wasn't for me. Um, I wanted to be, you know, having a personal touch with people. Um, but yeah, ever since then, absolutely. I've been able to acquire real estate, it's myself for um, within the years of growth from when I got my real estate license all the way up till now. And of course, some of them had a short term hold because it's important to 
Some of them have to, uh, you have to liquidate some of the assets in order for me to make certain investments internationally that allows my husband and I to go into things that might be very different and a little bit riskier. So I think since then, it, it's a great platform, especially now. I mean, it is a, it's a tangible asset. It's something that is tried and true that no matter what type of real estate you have, Certainly condos may not have as much of an appreciation as a single family or a town or a town home. But anytime you hold just the appreciation itself, especially for the increasing demand as we're expecting this year into 2025, anybody that holds real estate will absolutely be able to bank on appreciation. And on top of that, the bonus, which is cash flow. Yeah. And, and with, you know, you, you touched on some of the, the ways that uh, investors, wholesalers are finding leads. Now as an agent, what's your how are you finding leads? Are you doing the mailers or is it are you relying mostly on Instagram you're on? Or is it like kind of more of a like references and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, my my base for my network and my referral source at this point are truly my sphere of influence, my SOI. SOI, my past clients and referrals, those are truly, I would say, 90% of the driver of my business. I've been able, I've been blessed being able to do it that way because with the years that I've been putting in, I've already had my work vetted. I've had past clients that are raving fans. And of course, they're sharing my contact information and reviews and their experiences working with me. So I've been able to have those sources of business to keep that steady through referrals. Now, when it comes to mailing, when it comes to, you know, cold conversations, I tend to shy away from it. And it's not because I don't like it. It's because I don't necessarily need to put in my time there. And I think of it as like, if I was to prospect and follow up and go in marketing for one hour, which one's going to yield me the most results based on my personality, my business plan, and what makes me happy, it's going to be my sphere of influence. But certainly for those that are more happy are happier to do the cold side of things. They could do the mailers. That requires more money. So it's truly a, a taste for myself, which is the sphere of influence. Yeah. I, I also saw um, on your Instagram post these giant gift baskets that are nicer than anything Josh has ever given me. And uh, <laughs> so, so what is that? Is that like one of your things? Like, wh what are you kind of doing? What's like to set yourself apart? I guess. Like, what would you say is is your like? it thing is that a, is that how you say it <laughs> yeah you know there's this one saying and i'm i'm not going to be able to quote it perfectly but people won't remember what you did for them but they'll remember how you made them feel and what always matters is how you finish the race. And one of those is how do you make them feel at the end of the transaction? Because they're not going to remember the negotiation you did, the phone calls you did, the follow-up, the, the amount of offers that you beat out, 26 of them, or the fact that you gained them 100000 for multiple offers when you're representing the seller. They might not remember that. But what they'll remember is the feeling of how you said goodbye to them. And one of them, yeah, absolutely. It's a gift basket. I mean, who doesn't want that? And uh, I wanted to invest a little bit more in these baskets. And it's always personal. You know, some some of the individuals, let's say, is more of a bachelor. They're going to get definitely liquor and, and tech and chocolates. And, you know, they're not going to get like homey candles things necessarily. But then, of course, if it's like a family and they've got a little one, there's going to be more of the things that are more pertinent to them. And, and that finishing touch is always shown after they sign, they get their keys or they sign the closing documents and their sellers. 
depending on their lifestyle and their personality, it's so catered to that because it's so personal and real estate is personal. Although it's a business, there's a ton of money involved and a lot of professionals involved. The person that they will come back to is the one that they felt the closest to the one that's the most compassionate and the one that successfully, the one that successfully allowed them to achieve what they were looking for on paper, but also the feeling. And that feeling is what's permanent. Yeah. I I think I heard somebody say in real estate, um, you're not really selling a house. You're mostly selling emotions. And I think that's... Apparently, I need to buy a column more gift baskets because he he doesn't doesn't feel like I'm taking care of him. Yeah. But So I want to read all your accolades real quick because there's a lot of them and it's very impressive. So... Um, National Association of Realtors, 30 Under 30, Forbes Real Estate Council, which I'm not sure what that is. Maybe you can talk to that a little bit. Washingtonians Magazine's Top Agents 20, 21, 22, and 23. Wall Street Journal, Real Trends Inc., Top 1.5% Real Estate Professionals, 22 and 23. And DC's Magazine Power Player in, in 2021. So that's like a ton of stuff. So clearly, you're really good at what you're doing. Um, so what... Has that done for your business? And what type of uh, uh, mindset does it take to actually achieve all of those things that you've been able to do? Yeah. When I harp on how important you are with your connection with people, part of that is your credibility and building trust. And a lot, and we see this with any professional that have their trades and certificates that are on top of their degree. The concept is the same. When you're in an industry where the entry barrier is low and there's tons of agents, you have to find yourself somewhere apart. And the biggest component to that in the very beginning is people will research you. And it's important to build your brand. So one of those are being able to be recognized by your local designations and local, you know, places where you can be recognized. But even more powerful are those that are from your board, from the NAR Association of Realtors to Forbes to Washingtonian Magazine. And, you know, there's been like three more that came through this uh, past year. And that's extremely important, in my opinion, because real estate is sales and people don't want to be just sold on, you know, just the house. It's important for them to understand they're going to be working with a trusted advisor. And what better way to partner with someone who actually understands the national side of real estate, but also going to the micro information, which is the local market and having these achievements and being acknowledged by these boards and publications are imperative because then you build that trust. You are able to cater to a lot of personalities, especially personalities that are particular on working with people with accolades. And that's the nature of of this game is how can you be a trusted advisor? Yeah. So do you get those by just being amazing or do you have to, do your coworkers have to like apply for you? Like, how do you even get any of these, of these things that you've been able to, to, to get? Yeah. So it's a mix of them coming to me, but also your brokers supporting your business model. So the brokers that I'm in for specifically DC and Virginia, part of the assets that they gave me is that we're always going to search for the accolades and the awards that you'll fit in. But the number one metric are going to be your closings for the year. And being able to sell at least $20 million of real estate 
in residential, that's one of the biggest markers to get into Wall Street Journal, to get into well, Washington Magazine is 12 million. And that Wall Street one for real trends is the, the, the biggest one. And some of them, they find me eventually through finding uh, through my sales and being seen through my social media and what they're finding. And for Forbes, for example, they were the one that actually reached out and said, Hey, we have, we've seen your track record. We saw that you're with NAR and you were in 30 under 30, which is a huge designation for, you know, being only 30 or selected every year under the age of 30. So they have their, it depends on where you're being found. And if your brokerage is helping you find these, uh, places where you can get acknowledged. And then also, if you're making time to search them, which is also important, that's really the third source of how you're going to be found. Would you say in in dealing with with people, is it like, what? who do you have the most difficulty with in, in, in your dealings? Is it the clients, the uh, the brokers, the lenders? And, and uh, you said you're working for a brokerage. Do you ever plan on starting your own? Or is there a real benefit to that for you? Yeah, I mean, that's something that has crossed my mind early on. And it becomes another heart to heart conversation with yourself and figuring out your personality. I've learned that bigger may not always be better. And I say that because I did have plans on wanting to open up a brokerage. And I always thought to myself, what if I were to say and put together one hour? And in that one hour, if I'm managing agents, do I make a certain amount of money here that's more? Or if I was to be one hour consulting with the buyer, client, seller, where do I have the most money that I'll make out of? And it's important because that allows me then to see which one has the most results based on my time. And time and time again, my personality always said, I, I was always a nurse. I mean, I was, I love my patients. I'm not going to be a hospital owner. I'm not going to open my own hospital or my own practice or clinic. I wanted to be one-on-one -on -one with people. And I just have a soft spot being one-on-one -on -one with families, individuals, investors. And just that investment alone is important for me to just be accepting of it because that's my personality. So I think for anybody that decides to grow um, more than being as a solo agent, all power to them. I think that's that's an important aspect to consider if you think your your capacity for managing agents is there. And for me, it wasn't. I just felt like I was going to be babysitting agents, and I'd much rather have so much satisfaction being able to work with uh, buyers and sellers. And to answer your point, uh, Colin, about who are the hardest people to work with, it's always the other side when the contract starts to go downhill and things get very gray. And the only thing you can lean on are contracts and how can you translate that and how can you bridge and calm the emotions of the one you're representing and be able to still get them to the finish line. It's typically the other side that hates you. The agent starts getting upset with you. They start to say, Oh, you did us dirty when we did it. But those are the types of sticky situations about this that gets very difficult. Yeah. See that. <laughs> Do you represent both sides or do you... Because uh, I know there's some realtors that will only work with buyers or only work with sellers. Um, do you kind of full full circle everything, I guess? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I do both. I mean, I I service anybody that needs my help. I don't, you know, handpick or cherry pick a certain price point or a certain, you know, if it's buyer sellers. But I, but my business model tends to bring on a lot of buyers, first timers, move up buyers, and of course sellers. And I think that if I was to shift my business to be more intentionally sellers. I've tried that and there's definitely success in it. And they do certainly say there's a lot more of your dollar per hour, much better there. But there's just something that I love about working with buyers. So I would say I'm a 60, 40% ratio from buyers to sellers. Okay. All right. So we have a, a final segment that we call the final five. We just ask the same, same questions to everybody. But before I do, uh, this is more just me being curious. So I, in DC, I expect that there's going to be some pretty luxuriously priced homes in that area. So if you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable, no big deal. But if you're comfortable saying what's the most expensive house you've ever sold and what what type of commissions does that look like? Sure. From a, from a realtor perspective. Yeah. The most expensive I've sold is $2,650,000. And the commission there was seventy seven grand. Was that... Uh, were you... I'm trying. I'm trying to do the math really quick in my head. But were you representing both sides or just one? Just oh, one. Wow. Just one. So yeah. there's your nursing salary right there. One house. It was. That's one. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was my gross take home from the last uh, the last salary I had full time when I was a oh, nurse. Wow. wow. Yeah. So how long? At what point in your real estate career did that show up? Because I assume you don't get that your first house. Um, you have to work towards it. So at what point did you reach that? that level? You know, he was actually a physician. So, um, but I didn't work with him. He, we just came across each other through mutual network and that came to be, uh, so this is going to be year eight. So year six. Okay. I I just saw, um, this guy, Josiah Smelser. He's the daily real estate investor. Um, we met him at WealthCon and he posted something about like, don't, don't compare your day one to somebody else's year 10. And I think it's that it's like now with everything with social media, you see like, like, you know, 30 under 30 and Forbes and wash and all this stuff. And it's just like, Oh man, I want to do that. But then like inevitably people get into it and it's like, they don't get those $77,000 paychecks in year one. And it's like, they forget all the hard work you put in to get there and all the years and the time it takes to get there. So we have to remember that, I think, as we're yeah. pursuing other Thank things. You, Colin. Yeah, yeah, I got you, Josh. <laughs> Said that so eloquently. But, I'm glad we have a really good But editor. I was also gonna ask, we kind of <laughs> glossed over you or you we just you mentioned your your six month goals when you're starting out. So I'm assuming you you hit that one a month for six months. Yeah, I did. And then the accident happened to be next to that afterwards. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. It's a... Uh, Wow. Yeah. Well, Thatch, uh, we, we, at WealthCon, this guy, Thatch Wynn, he's a big real estate investor. And he was saying, um, he started looking for the little miracles in life. And like one of the little miracles he mentioned was like his dad dying. And obviously like, that's not a miracle, but like what it kind of like propelled him to was focusing more on his family and like spending time with his family. And so, yeah, like a car crash, for a lot of people could derail them. But, but if you kind of look at it as like, okay, what is this trying to show me? Like you can end up here. So it's, it's great to see that. <laughs> look for the little miracles, I guess. Yeah. I would say it's finding the fire in your crisis. Yeah. Now we got another quote. <laughs> All right. Another quote. Here we go. All right. Before I mess up again, I'm going to just go with the final five. <laughs> so, so the first question is, uh, what's a top financial resource that you found? Um, 
book, podcast? I know you mentioned a book earlier, but what would be your, your go-to financial resource? Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I do a lot of things on my own now that I, I wish I've been able to adopt some of the, readopt some of the habits I used to have starting out, but I've just been so, so good with uh, the way the habits I've been that I haven't been able to think of like, what are some financial resource that I do? I'll tell you this. I love my Excel spreadsheet. I, there are tons of apps like mint.com and QuickBooks and I mean, Slack to monday.com that you just get so lost with their interface and sure they're great. They have these monthly services, but there's something about you manually writing out your numbers. And one of the biggest ways for me to stay profitable, to remember that you don't need to always hire assistants or to always watch what you're investing in. Meaning for me, it would be certain marketing pieces to grow my business is to actually utilize Excel. It's so rudimentary and I it, sometimes it gets glossed over and people forget because they want to hook themselves up with like the most, the fanciest CRM, but you've got an Excel sheet that's just plain as basic. And I've been working on this for, I think that would say the last two, three years now, but I've collected on every single tab, all of my taxes, all of the uh, the ways I've organized the, my profit and losses from personal to business. And there's tons of tabs I've created. And it's just this master worksheet. And I fear that everything is in there, that if one day this gets deleted, it'll be devastating. But having a master Excel worksheet is so important for me to be able to understand the, the business side of things. Um, and of course, I still have apps like Slack, Monday.com, LionDesk to keep me accountable on, on other aspects, on the financial things I need, but having this, you know, raw piece of software is so important and then use it to the way that you need to, to cater on what you need to grow, what you need to do next to grow. That's awesome. Definitely the first, uh, the first time somebody's mentioned Excel, but, but it makes perfect sense. It's a great <laughs> yeah. explanation. And yeah, like sometimes simple's the best way to go. Um, so number two is what advice would you give yourself as a new grad? I would not have been able to give myself this advice because I've always known I wanted to be a nurse when I was five. I think I would say to my 23 year old self that you're doing an awesome job. Take the leap of faith. And if you ever have questions or hesitations, if you're on the right track, take it anyway, because no matter what career you get into, use those experiences from the work itself, the scheduling and the people management. Use those experiences to learn what you like, what you don't like, and allow yourself that time to build and how you're going to be for the next career that you decide if you want to embark on something new. If I'm starting out all over again, I would tell myself, be gracious. Uh, I would definitely tell this narrative even more to say, be very patient with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others and understand your personality. Take a DISC assessment, D-I-S-C. I don't know if you both have heard of it, but when I started out, my first brokerage that I hung with is Keller Williams. And they're, they are very big on recruiting. And one of the team leaders that assessed me used my naiveness in a way 
they they gave me the DISC test and I thought that was neat. And it showed up that my test result was high D and high I. High D for business, organization, growing organiza- uh, growing skills and expansion. A lot of the traits that you need to be a very successful real estate organization. But I was very high on I with my intuitiveness with people, being uh, very empathetic, social. And where I was the worst at was the S for security and C for compliance. And I believe S and C have things to do with like paperwork, organization, task lists, which are more administerial type of um, work. And I think when I saw that assessment, I thought, okay, I think I'll do I'll do fairly well being a solo agent because I had the traits seeing from this DISC test that I'll I'll fare very good as a solo agent. And I I then realized like, why is this guy trying to recruit me when he just saw that I'm high D and I, when the top team leaders are actually high D and high I. And then he offered me a a commission structure. And I remember I was part-time at the time. And he said, hey, this is the commission structure. And I thought, this is kind of a low blow. I, I told you I, I need to catapult myself to leave nursing ASAP and trying to work for you is not going to work. So I need to go solo. But thank you for the opportunity. So I would say that that test was very important. Yeah. I actually after we were. Recently, yeah, well, I was going to say after hearing about the Excel spreadsheets, I would have thought you were higher C. But. But yeah, it's interesting. Oh, that's yeah. a trait that I learned over time. <laughs> I had to get down on my books. I had to learn so for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were, I was recently exposed to the disc score and I found out a little bit more about myself than I I I didn't know, I guess. Um, Actually, I knew it. It just proved it to me, I guess. (laughs) All right. So number three is uh, what's your big goal for the next 12 months? And yeah, what does 2024 look like for you? Well, I'm 33 weeks pregnant. It's my first one. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. It's the reason why we had to postpone the last or the two last meetings because I had a little emergency. But this will be interesting for this year because I have two growing pains, right? One side is the growing pains physically. And now how can I manage to transition successfully as a mother, as a wife? And at the same time, still grow with business in the way that I see fit. So I think there's going to be a lot more boundaries I have to say. And I know Josh, I saw your beautiful, you know, Christmas posts and congratulations to your family. Thank you. And for those reasons, I, I think looking into 2024, it's truly like managing the time that I need to for my personal life. But now how do I also go into an, a different network and leverage new relationships with young parents? I think that is a different circle that I can tap into and make valuable relations from there. And of course, real estate always comes. And I, one of the things I wanted to also add that I, for, I, I remembered, but I forgot was when you uh, oh, the, it was the advice which you would give for some for myself starting out. Think of real estate uh, or is it um, money is a byproduct for the work that you put in. And I never thought about the commissions. I I forgot. I decided I'm not going to look at commissions. I'm not going to look at how much I'm going to make per deal because I did not want to be money driven. I wanted to put in the the work ethic, the, the helping of people and being such an abundant resource that whatever money came was the byproduct of the money that I put in. And that was always my mantra for like the first first three years and that paid off so well. Number four, if you were to tell people to do one thing right now, what would you tell them to do? Something that could change their financial outlook going forward. Get the book, The One Thing. (laughs) Have you both heard of it? Yeah. 
I, that's, I hate reading, but that's one of the books that I've read and it was really yeah. good. It really is. Can you read your question again? You said, what was the one? <laughs> well, no, you said <laughs> it. It's the one, <laughs> you said the one thing is read the one thing. So that was it. But no, it's just like something that somebody could do. Our big thing is like taking action now. Um, and so like one action that somebody could take right now. Okay. I'd say put your hands to the paper. Don't type it up. First thing is we obviously have vision boards and vision boards are great, but there's nothing like taking your physical hand and writing things out for the year and then making quarterly checks. What are those milestones that you're trying to achieve personally first and then business second? And then in those quarterly checks, check in with yourself. Did I do that one thing that's going to give me the 80% of the results that I'm looking for, for the 20% that I put in? So whether that's literally as simple as messaging people on Facebook, hey, have you been five a day, Monday through Friday, every day, and that leads to a compounding effect. And then that's what will lead you to closer likely to what you're trying to do. I like how you uh, snuck in a couple book titles in that, in that answer. I did. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So number five, the final one is what's the biggest financial mistake that you've made and what can we all learn from it? Oh my God. I love this question. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Because I messed up so many times when you, when you start to get commissions and the, the part about the last two years and a lot of agents fell into this and anybody part-time full-time was that, you know, they just started doing this. Right. And they just lose track on how to manage that money. It's kind of like athletes when they get so rich and I'm not saying for myself, I'm just saying you just get this abundance of cash. And it I was essentially doing so well that I just thought, Oh, well, it's going to keep coming. You have to find self-control. It's so important. You have to use one of the things that we know very well, pay yourself first. Put that money to the side and remember you're 1099. You're not W-2. There's no social security deduction. There's no Medicare deduction. That gross commission that you get is gross, meaning you need to physically have self-discipline to put that money on the side, to put it in a SEP IRA if you're self-employed as, you know, self-employed IRA to a Roth IRA, put it towards you 529, pay yourself first that way. And then maybe take 10% of the gross commission income and put that towards a rainy day. And the remaining put 20% for uncle Sam. And then the difference, okay, now you can actually keep that in your bank account. That's my best, best advice. And that's the money you ball out with. <laughs> I was going to say, I, that resonates with me very well, actually. I'm, 2023 was a painful year because I had to figure that out last year. Yeah. We all did. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, uh, yeah, this has been great. Um, so where can people uh, reach out or find you and see what you're doing and reach out if they need to? Yeah, absolutely. I, you can find me truly three places on Instagram. My Nieva Inc., which is where we all found each other. Also through email, christine at nievainc.com. And also my website at christinenieva.com. Sounds good. If anybody's looking for a house in the D.C. metro area, you know who to find. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you both yeah, for having me. It. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you both. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Investing RN. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to share this episode with one other person and follow us on Instagram at investingrn.co 
If you have any other questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, your input is super valuable and we love hearing from our listeners. Until next time, remember, your financial well-being is a journey and we're here to guide you every step of the way. Keep investing in yourself and your future.